no one's perfect, even if we secretly believe they are. So if you've been struggling and failing to keep it all together, you're in good company. Women today are pushing harder than ever to do it all and break through their personal limits. But what if we're pushing in the wrong direction? Join a growing movement of women exploring their boundaries as opportunities. Be empowered by their experiences to create a best life that reflects your expectations and no one else's. If you're ready for a different kind of podcast, then you've arrived. Welcome to Women of Valor. This week's episode is sponsored by Ujjayi. In her first book, Ujjayi Interior Design, entrepreneur Esther Levy recounts how her recovery from a near-death experience gave birth to her company, Ujjayi. Ujjayi Interior Design weaves together family life, spiritual fulfillment, healthy mindset, physical weight, and business practices. To live our best lives, we have to become our own interior designers. To pre-order, head to ujjayiinc.com, get a free deodorant with your pre-order of Esther's new book, and get 15% off your order using code BARRY15. Head to ujjayiinc.com. The topic of God and relationship with God and questioning God is something that I believe is seen as a taboo type of topic. And because of how taboo it is, I believe that it's even more necessary to discuss it. So today I am joined by Ruchi Koval, a lecturer, a writer, and all around really amazing person uh, to help discuss this really confusing, emotionally charged, important topic. Hi, Rochi. Thank you so much for joining us. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and one thing that you love about yourself. Hi, Barry. Okay. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, so let's see. I am a Jew, a woman, a mother. Um, I am a lecturer, an author, a writer, a, mm, I don't know, some say I'm a Rebitson. I'm not sure if I am or not. I'm still puzzling that one out. <laughs> um, I'm a musician and I'm a connector and I love to use my words to express my feelings that are inside of me. And I love it when other people say, yes, yes, that's exactly how I feel. Thank you. So I would say that that's actually probably what I love about myself, that um, ability to use, to take my inner thoughts and turn them into words, whether it's verbal or written, have somebody on, their, on the other side say, thank you for putting into words what I feel but couldn't put into words. Well, I mean, I've seen a few of your articles that you've published and we're Facebook friends. So that's how I, how I, uh, find some of your stuff, but I, I don't know how we originally connected. Um, but I do know that I know, uh, part of, uh, the extended Koval family being that our first home either after I got married was, um, were the Kovals in Muncie. Yes, that's right. Yes. Oh, I know how we know each other. We got involved and connected with each other. Um, when there was this big meeting to discuss um, women in media. Oh, okay. Yes, that was a while ago. Yes, 
that, that was a while ago. And I, I kind of felt very out of place there. I'm like, what am I doing with all of these like big shots? <laughs> like on this Zoom call, it was my first Zoom ever, by the way. Um, and now I use Zoom all the time. But it was my first Zoom and I was so nervous um, mm. just to even just sit there and be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody could tell you were nervous. And now you're a hot shot yourself. Oh, I don't know about a hot shot. Um, but thank you. Um, so I have been thinking about a topic a lot recently, um, in the, uh, according to the lunar calendar, we're in the month of Elul, which is the month that precedes, um, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the high holidays. And it's a time where we're supposed to, um, connect with God. You know, this, there's this, uh, quote from Psalms, I believe it's, um, I am to my beloved as my beloved is to me. It's not from Psalms, is it? Where's Song it? of Songs, Shira Shirin. There we go. Boom. See, that's why you're here. No. Um, <laughs> and I've been thinking recently about relationships with God in general. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to discuss it and I wanted to hash it out on here, but I did not feel that I had enough of a grasp on it myself. And as you said, you have this power of, of bringing you know, your thoughts into words, whether written or spoken. So um, I hope you're able to guide me along uh, trying to figure this out. And maybe we can you know, hash it out together um, mm -hmm. because I know that there are motions to do, there are actions to do within Judaism. And I've been thinking about it and I feel like there is, there is a divide mentally between religion and God. Hmm. Like, I think that it's very easy to divide the two. Mm -hmm. You can walk the walk, you can talk the talk, you can, you can pray three times a day, you can, you can dress and act and, and do things a certain way, but having a, a relationship with God can totally be out of the picture and be totally something else. And vice versa, a person can have a relationship with God and not be externally observant in expected ways. So uh, what would be like a normal way to have a relationship with God? Because I used to yell at myself for like having any negative feelings towards God. But at the same time, like in any human relationship, it's virtually impossible to have a deep and meaningful relationship that's all lovey-dovey. Right, exactly. So I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, the way I like to think about these things is by using human relationships. And I, I think that I am correct in stating that one of the reasons that like Jewish mysticism teaches us that God gave us so many different kinds of human relationships is to give us paradigms in how to relate to God. And um, just say something interesting. So the Ten Commandments were on two tablets. The first tablet was relationship between man and God, and the second tablet was relationship between man and man, right? Like the first five are like, believe in God and don't take God's name in vain. And the second half is like, don't murder and don't be jealous. Um, however, there's one pretty big anomaly, which is that the commandment to honor your parents is in the first set. And a lot, there's a lot of discussion about this in, this in the classical sources. And one of the most compelling things I learned about this is that parents were given to us so that we could learn how to relate to God. 
it's really, it seems like a, a human to human relationship, but it's really a bridge to God. And, you know, you, you mentioned Anila Dodi Vidodili, I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me. And that's from the book of Song of Songs. And that book is one huge metaphor for our relationship to God. And it's a description of two lovers, a man and a woman who are in love with each other and they're married and they are estranged and they are trying to reconnect and what happens when they reconnect and eventually they do reconnect. So there's the parental thing and then there is the beloved thing. And then we have this king metaphor, you know, Avinu Malkinu, my father, my king. There's a maternal paradigm that King David mentions. He says, I feel like a newborn baby in its mother's arms. When I think about you, God, you know that you're meeting all my needs. So I think, I think I'm not overstating it when I'm saying that we can learn so much about what we know about human relationships to try to figure out this relationship with God. And I think a big problem is that human relationships are so complicated and so confusing. You know, it's not like we have human relationships nailed. Like, how do you communicate with each other? How do you show love to one another? How do you stay loyal to one another? There's already so much complexity in that arena that it's not surprising that we would have a hard time carrying that over into our relationship with God. But I definitely think that's where we should start because that's the most accessible place. But I feel like the first thing I thought of when you said the whole parents thing and then relationships thing, like families are so dysfunctional. <laughs> you said it. Like how, how could that be a good place to start? You well, know, I mean, like I grew up, I grew up learning about, you know, you just love Hashem and everything Hashem does is good and he is good and things are good and everything's lovely and wonderful. But then what happens when, when things aren't lovely and wonderful? Like I sometimes get scared to even question God. Like when I was younger, I remember sitting with a rabbi and he was like, just tell me. Cause like, I was like a dysfunctional teenager and my parents thought that I needed to speak to somebody and he was the best person for the job. And I was just looking at the floor. I'm like, I don't know what you want from me. He's like, tell me, tell me. I'm like, tell you what, dude. And he was just like, that life's not fair. I'm like, well, it wouldn't say life's not fair. God has all these accountings and blah, blah, blah. And it, it all makes sense in the end. He's like, who are you? Like, are you 85 <laughs> years old? Like, why are you not a teenager? And that's a very good question that I haven't really gotten an answer to of like why I wasn't a teenager. But I feel like that sort of questioning, because I never did it, um, is kind of coming up now. Kind of this mm -hmm. like, yeah. But 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 what if like what if I do think life's not fair? Like when I am really really ill and I'm stuck in bed or I'm struggling with my mental health and and the kids are crying and you know so many different pieces are playing and you're just like what in the world do you want from me, man? Mm -hmm. Like right. but but should I feel guilty feeling that way? I feel like I've been taught that like you you can't feel that way. It's not it's not allowed. So I just have to interject and, and comment on that. Not that it's our direct topic, but I think it's important to say any form of Judaism or Jewish education, which sends the message that it is not kosher to have certain feelings is not kosher Judaism. We are human beings and we will struggle and we will have our feelings and we will have our thoughts and we will have our doubts. I mean, the first commandment, okay, is to believe in God. Would God have to give us that commandment if we didn't struggle with it? 
God doesn't have to command us to do things that we, that we don't struggle with. The reason God says don't kill is because human beings struggle with murder. The reason God says don't commit adultery is because people struggle with fidelity. God doesn't have to tell us things that we don't struggle with. So it's almost a corollary of the fact that this is a commandment that human beings will struggle with it. That's fine. That's normal. And this kind of guilt that people are walking around with and this kind of shame <clears throat> to not have it all figured out. I mean, how, how old are you? If I can ask. Um, 26. You're 26. Okay. I'm 45. If either of us claimed to have this figured out, we would be lying. And if an 85 year old said that they had it figured out, they will be lying because to be a human being on this planet means that we are confused and we will struggle and we will question. Now, hopefully, the older we get and the more learning we do, the more secure we will come. But there's no linear timeline here. There's no steadily upward trajectory. It's all complicated and it's all up and down. And anybody who says they don't struggle is lying. I really think that, you know, there was too much focus on like the stories of like the amazing superhuman you know, holy people of this world who, you know, are on like the highest of the high and like not enough stress about like the people who struggled. Um, and I think it creates this unrealistic standard yeah. in many ways and in many different <clears throat> many different things, but in our relationship with God, especially, um, well, I don't think look, it's look at the like, stories okay. in the Torah, but look, Look, look at the source, right? We have this story with Abraham, with Abraham, and Hashem tells him, you're going to have a child, and he's 100 years old, and he doesn't have a child yet, you know, and, and Hashem makes him all these promises, and takes him out to the stars, and he says, your children are going to become so many, and he says, but God, how do I know? Okay, how do I, how do I know? Now, this was literally the person who discovered God, he was like, if anybody in the Torah was a paradigm of virtue, it was him. And he had a question, God, but how do I know? You know, and, and the Talmud says that this was a mistake for Abraham on his level. But if, he's, if he asked, how do I know? Then we're not allowed to ask, how do I know? So classic Torah, if you go back to the actual source, you will not find this veneer of perfectionism. That's us humans messing up when we put out this expectation of perfection. That's not authentic Torah. You know what I also think gets, gets used and abused too much? Um, it's a pet peeve of mine, and sometimes I catch myself doing it because it's been a habit for so long. What's that? Or Hashem. Mm. <laughs> People are like, like in their beds, like on the verge, like I have no money and I'm like, and I'm in um, um, tremendous pain and, and my kids are suffering this and that. Bar Hashem. I'm like, what are you doing? Hmm. Is it really Bar Hashem? Is that really how you feel? Or like when people sigh and say Bar Hashem. It's like, you know what? Can you just not? Can you just, can you just not? I don't know why it bothers me so much. Maybe because I'm just like. No, because it's a knee-jerk habit and those words have stopped meaning anything. Those are beautiful words. I mean, Baruch Hashem means blessed is God. I think that if we were to count our blessings and say that and, you know, even try to mean it, even if we don't necessarily mean it, that's beautiful. 
but it's sort of just become this expected habit. So not only has it ceased to mean anything, but it's used to avoid actual conversations. And I think that also there's a short changing of a process. Like um, my friend Sarah Eisman wrote an article about this in the Family First magazine about how people go straight for this like religious completion, like something horrible happens and they'll be like, everything happens for a reason. You know what? Everything happens for a reason is a great sentiment, but sometimes there's a journey till you get there. Sometimes you need to be angry, sad, scared, complain. And just like in a relationship with a human being, I mean, you hit the nail on the head when you said like, there's no such thing as having an authentic relationship with a human being where you're not sometimes having negative feelings where you're not sometimes scared or angry or offended or feeling left out or feeling like, you know, you didn't trust the person. Like there are relationships where people never have missteps. They're called shallow relationships. <laughs> They're called acquaintances. You don't step on acquaintances toes because you're not spending that much time together and you're not talking about real things. So if a relationship with God is going to be authentic, <clears throat> then it is going to include the messy feelings and the ugly feelings. And when we shortchange that process and we just go straight to Baruch Hashem or everything happens for a reason or Gamzu Latova, you know, this too is for the best. Then we literally, we literally shortchange our emotional and spiritual processes. And then that Baruch Hashem is not even real. It's fake. It's being used to not feel your feelings and they're going to come back later to haunt you. That is not an authentic relationship with God. It's a veneer. Wow. Okay. No. So that my, my mind's kind of exploding from what you just said, but also I'm thinking about those, like those terrible buzzing in your ear of people that are like, well, look at the Siata de Shemaya from, from what happened. It's so amazing that, that, you know, this happened to you. Like, at least wait, 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 wait. Are you're you talking out, you about know? people who are saying that about their own stuff? No, about, or about somebody else's. Somebody stuff? else's that are trying okay. to try and encourage you and be like, mm -hmm. look, mm -hmm. don't you see? Okay. It, it, so, it, it hurts my soul. I have a comment on that. And I have very strong feelings about that. So there are these like religious sort of like buzzwords or buzz phrases, if that's a thing. Yes. Um, one of them is, yeah, you know, wow, look at like, Hashem was so good to you because X, Y, and Z. Or um, anything that starts with the words at least, okay? Like, at least this didn't happen, or at least you have this, or at least you have more kids, or at least, you know, whatever. Uh, like, like, kind of like bright-siding people. And then there's the... Um, you know, God doesn't give you anything you can't handle. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Like cliche after religious cliche. Now here's the thing. Those words and phrases were never intended to be used on other people. And again, if you go back to the source, if you go to actual Torah, what we're supposed to do for people in pain is to comfort them. And we, in case you think that comforting somebody means explaining to them why they should be less sad. That is not what the Torah says at all. When the Torah describes what a person should do in a shiva house, for instance, the Torah does not say cheer them up. That is not what comfort looks like. Comfort looks like sitting with the person in their pain 
and not trying to move them out of their pain, but comforting them by shouldering the burden with them. That's what religious comfort looks like. I remember saying something on my Instagram stories about um, relationships with God and your daughter actually messaged me. And really? Yeah. And she mentioned something about David HaMelech and about how in Psalms he, you know, has all of these different feelings coming out. Yes. And she was like, oh, by the way, I got that from my mother. And that's <laughs> why I was like, I should probably speak to Rochi about this. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm so glad she mentioned that because if you look through the book of Psalms, which King David wrote, and there's 150 chapters in there, and he had a very hard life. He had a very traumatic life. There were people who hated him. There were people who wanted to kill him. There were people who tried to kill him. There were people who were jealous of him and misunderstood him. He had a lot of enemies. He went through a lot of difficulties. And in all of his emotions, and he's sad and he's scared and he feels alone, he has no problem telling God all of his big, messy feelings. And he says, Kaylee, Kaylee, Lama Zavtani, my God, why have you abandoned me? Imagine if we would get up in public and say that. People would be like, oh, you're not really religious. Okay, well, King David was pretty religious, okay? <laughs> and he had no problem saying that. But the interesting thing is that in all of the 150 Psalms, 148 of them, I counted, end on a hopeful note. Now, <laughs> I have two comments on this. First of all, I love it that not all of them end on a hopeful note. He just couldn't, I, I don't know, maybe he just couldn't end on a hopeful note every single time. Like the fact that some of them don't just makes me feel like, you know what, he was a real person. He wasn't this religious automaton. He was a, an authentic human being with authentic emotions. What made him so holy is that he turned to God in those emotions. And so it wasn't 100% cheer up rate. You know, he was an actual person. But the other interesting thing is that it wasn't anybody coming over to him and being like, hey, David, don't worry. God will bail you out. It was him working through these feelings and struggling with his emotions and struggling with his emuna until he himself came to this end conclusion most of the time. But you know what? God, you've always been there for me. But you know what? I know that you're going to save me. But you know what? I'm going to comfort myself with your presence. And that's really the point of what I was saying before is that <clears throat> nobody can use all of those religious cliches to like, guilt or shame or cheer somebody out of their funk. It's something, it's a process and a journey that you have to travel yourself. And what's going to make that journey travelable is to have people with you who will not judge you for the struggle, who will stay with you, who will sit with you, who will not try to cheer you up, who will not be afraid of your big feelings and just be like, you know what? Wherever you're going, I am going with you and we will get through this together and just give you the space to find whatever is that ending sentence for you for that moment. It makes a lot of sense trying to think of it as a relationship. And the first thing that comes to mind is rebellion. Um, mm -hmm. There is rebellion in relationships and there's this, you know, pretending like something's not there, like complete avoidance, mm -hmm. ignoring, 
And, and, and I think that people are too quick to be like, "Mm -mm, you can't do that. Right. What are you doing? Well, we're very afraid of rebellion because we're afraid of where it will end. But the truth is that just like somebody, you know, a, a child, like it's part of normal human development that a human being needs to individuate from their parents and they sort of have to push off of their parents the same way like a swimmer will push off the wall or a gymnast will push off the floor. Sometimes we have to push off of God because we are God's child in order to figure out who we are so that we can then come back and build an authentic relationship because we might receive information about that relationship from parents or teachers or society, but ultimately we have to build our own authentic relationship with God. And it might not look exactly like our parents' relationship or our teacher's relationship or our siblings or friend or even spouse. It's going to be a little different and it has to be. So the rebellion piece to me, it's like, there's a concept in Jewish mysticism, Yerida Litzarach Aliyah. It's a descent for the sake of ascent. You know, the same way like if you want to jump high, first you crouch low and then you can propel yourself higher. And like a relationship that doesn't have peaks and valleys is not a relationship. It's just not, you know, I mean, even if you think about like your best friend or a, a sister who's really close to you or a spouse that you might have a really good relationship with, any of those relationships are going to have peaks and valleys. So we shouldn't be afraid of rebellion. It's just part of the process. I think one of the issues with that and, and allowing oneself to, to go through that process is social pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, our communities and our families are so valuable in being a um, safety net um, and a support system. But those same communities and families can sometimes make us feel really trapped. Um, and in the absence of authenticity, people will often hyper-focus on externality. And so something that looks a little different on the outside can seem really scary, even if it's not. And then we tend to get reactive. And that's, that's a really bad dynamic. I'm just trying to think if somebody's in this sort of like valley, I guess, in their relationship with God or questioning why God's doing things or if God's even, you know, involved um, during the time of Elul and Rosh Hashanah, what's something that someone who's struggling with that, like, what can they do? I think that the answer to that question is going to depend on what somebody wants. Meaning I don't believe that you can prove to somebody that God exists. I just don't think it's that simplistic. If there were that simplistic, God would not give us a commandment to believe in him. You know, God, God doesn't say, please believe that you have five fingers on your hand. Again, we're commanded to do things that we struggle in. So I don't think it can be proved. So I believe that there is evidence in this world that is going to point us to the existence of a divine power that is evidence for a synchronicity to the universe. And there is also evidence in this world that is going to distract us from those beliefs that would point to 
this world being random and meaningless. Now, I personally think that the evidence for divinity is stronger than the evidence for meaninglessness, but there are people in this world who are much smarter than me who have come to the opposite conclusion. So ultimately, I believe that every human being has free will in terms of what they're going to believe and that every human being is expected to struggle with these complex, you know, evidences on both sides. And I wouldn't just say evidence because I don't just think it's this cold logical journey. There's a lot of emotionality involved, you know, what's your personality like? How difficult has your life been? What kinds of influences have you had? <clears throat> so every person is going to struggle <clears throat> with this, with where their belief system is. And I believe that in order to have, I mean, this is a Torah idea that in order to have authentic free will, there have to be even, you know, pulls of evidence on both sides in order to keep the free will intact. So the question that I would ask in response to your question, because sometimes us Jews answer questions with questions, <laughs> is what do you want to believe? You know, you asked, how can a person who's struggling with belief reconnect in this time of year? And my question is, well, what do you want to believe? Do you want to believe that God exists, but you're struggling with it? Do you want to believe that everything God does is for the good, but you're struggling with it? Okay, I have techniques for that. Um, if you want to believe that there is no God or that there is no meaningfulness or that some things just don't have answers, that's fine. You need to be honest about that. And nobody is going to convince you otherwise because you're going to find what you're looking for because the direction that a person wants to go, that's the direction God will lead them. That's something we're taught. So I'm going to go on the assumption that a person, I mean, I'm going to offer advice for the person who might say I'm struggling with this, but I want to believe it. I want to be stronger in my Amuna because for the person who doesn't want to be like, I, I don't really like, it's not on me to convince anybody. Again, it's your journey to travel. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. So for the person who wants to strengthen their belief system. So here's what I believe. I believe that emuna, which is the Hebrew word for faith, is a character trait similar to any other character trait, such as truth or kindness or generosity or justice, or patience, or any other character trait. And I like to think of character traits as muscles. The more you use a muscle, the more you strengthen it. The less you use the muscle, the weaker it gets. So if amuna is a character trait, and amuna is a muscle, then what you need to do is you need to work the muscle. You need to work out the muscle, and then it will get stronger. How do you work on your amuna muscle? So some of those, some of these things are going to sound like the cliches that we talked about earlier. Okay. The reason cliches become cliches is because they contain truth. I think that cliches are useful when we put them as a goal for ourselves, as opposed to a, something we put upon others or be someplace that we expect ourselves to be all the time or immediately. See? So for instance, um, let's take the expression Gamzulatova. Gamzulatova means this too is for the best, right? So 
let's just say I want to strengthen my Amuna muscle. So let's say I might write that phrase. And, and there's so many different phrases. A person can sort of pick whichever one speaks to them. So there's like, this too shall pass. Um, here's one from the Talmud. Everything God does is for the best, right? Whatever, whatever like mantra or phrase like kind of speaks to you. And you would write it down somewhere or put a reminder in your phone so it pops up every day or put a post-it note on your bathroom mirror with that thing. And you would say to yourself, my goal is to get there or my goal is to say this out loud every day. And you do it, even if you don't feel it, you say those words out loud once a day and it strengthens your belief system. Just saying something out loud strengthens your belief system. And then you'll find that you start looking for the meaningfulness in those phrases as you go through your day. So let's say your phrase is like Gamzula Tova, right? Everything that happens is for the best. So maybe you'll get up in the morning, you'll see that phrase on your mirror, and you'll say out loud, Gamzula Tova, everything that happens is for the best, okay? Then let's say... You know, you'll get into your car and your kid will spill your coffee in your lap and you'll be angry. But at the same time that you're angry, you're going to notice that this expression is going to pop into your head, Gamzulatova. Now, you might swat it away. You might be like, okay, thank you very much. I'm not in the mood of thinking of that right now. Thank you. Okay. But then whatever, you clean up the coffee, the moment passes, you drop off your kid at school, you're driving to wherever you need to go. And then you'll be like, okay, you know what? Was that really such a big deal? Like, maybe it really did happen for the best. Okay, well, in what way was that for the best? In what way did that benefit me? You know, and you might come to learn a way that that benefited you, or you might not, but you'll find that your thought processes are moving in a more faithful direction. I feel like that's more of like a, like a positivity view, and, and it's very possible to leave God out of the equation entirely when you do that. You could, but if you want to bring God back in the picture then you will. Like, if I say everything that happens is for the best, right? Minus God, what does that even mean? Who says? If there is no God, then the coffee spilling is random meaninglessness. So you really have to think about what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Who says there's any redemptive value to that event? Hmm. Okay. I think what you said about Baruch Hashem is that like, we're so used to saying certain phrases that we don't even think about what they mean. Like, you know, people sometimes say everything happens for a reason, right? That's like a very neutral Zen karma-ish kind of expression. But if you really pay attention to what that means, you're saying that there's a design to the universe. That is a pretty strong expression of faith doesn't sound like it's it's not often used that way though I don't that's think. what it means if you parse it out right how could it mean anything else right I never I never really thought about it that's what I'm saying is that these phrases just get tossed around and we're not really connecting with them on any deeper level because they're just things that we say and what about when it comes to um, observance of the actual mitzvot? Like I know that there are people who have 
message me being like, you know, I really want to just stop being religious or whatever, but like my kids are in school and I can't, like, I have to just like stick to doing things for them. Um, and it's more of like this fear of retribution, whether it's from the community or from God, um, that holds people back from kind of just figuring things out. And is there a way to figure things out without necessarily taking a step back observance wise? Well, you mentioned a few things just now. You mentioned like staying in it for the kids and you mentioned, um, you know, the community retribution. Those are two completely different things. Right. So my question is, I mean, which one should we focus on? Because they're so different. And, you know, I I do think that... I think community is more of a concern. Well... Um, Well, because, well, for her kids, meaning she would, her kids would be kicked out of the school that they were in. So here's the thing. When you bring kids into this universe, you become responsible to them for the rest of your life. And keep religion and God out of the conversation. If you are going to make a dramatic change to your lifestyle and it's going to affect your kids and it's going to switch up their status quo, you know, having kids is selfless and you, you cannot act selfishly where your kids are going to be a sacrifice. So, I mean, that's the first point that I want to, that I want to comment on. And, you know, a person could say, well, I feel trapped by this lifestyle. It's not me. And I, I'm sorry to hear that. That's really painful, but you know, let's use a different example other than religion. Let's say that I am in a profession And now I have kids and I'm making a decent living and I feel trapped by my job. I feel like I'm dying. So what should I do? If I leave my job, I won't be able to support my kids. But if I stay in this job, I feel like I'm like losing my soul. I don't have advice for that person. That is a horrible catch 22. I hope I'm never in that situation. But when you brought kids into this world, you committed, whether knowingly or unknowingly, to keep them safe and to take care of them and to protect their universe. So it's a really tough choice to make. You can't sacrifice your kids. And I, and by the way, I'm dealing with a situation on the other, other end of things where there is somebody who really wants to become observant, much more observant than his family has been. And we're encouraging him to cool it and take it slow and do more nice things for his family because he's rocking his family's world and they are resenting it. And you know what? You have to be mindful of that. You can't just like say, well, too bad. I have to do my thing. No, you can't just say too bad. I have to do my thing. Being a parent is by definition selfless. I'm happy that you actually mentioned it in the opposite on the opposite spectrum because nobody thinks about it that way. Nobody right. thinks about like, you know, but, but they're becoming closer to God. It's like also, but you're like ruining people's lives potentially. Um, right. And, and I do believe, by the way, that a person can either move closer to religion or further away from religion without sacrificing their family members. But that has to be done with a lot of maturity, a lot of selflessness, a lot of thoughtfulness. It can be done. I've seen it done on both directions where, you know, one member of the couple becomes newly enamored with religion, 
one member of the couple becomes newly disaffected with religion. And if they do it carefully and they do it right and they do it with help, with professional counseling, then the relationship can be preserved. But I, I don't think that it's fair once a person becomes a parent to say, well, you know, circumstances be darned, I have to do my thing. Sorry, you don't get that right anymore when you're a parent. So what can they do? I don't know. Every circumstance is different, you know. But I'm just saying, it's not like me first, kid second. Not when you have kids. Uh-uh. Kids first. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for the for the people who, you know, are really struggling and questioning what's like the smallest step that they can take this Rosh Hashanah? I think that prayer is the most effective thing to do. And I'll tell you why, you know, using human relationships as our paradigm, there is no such thing as a relationship without communication. You cannot have a relationship with somebody if you're not telling them your real feelings. If, if, if you're just telling somebody what you think they want to hear, or if you're just telling somebody like the shallowest parts of you, you're not in a relationship, right? You're in an acquaintanceship. So the other piece about prayer, which I think is valuable is that, you know, you don't have to go to a synagogue or read out of a prayer book. You can just talk to God in your own words. I think that if somebody's struggling, they should have one conversation with God a day, like for five minutes. And they should just sit down somewhere quiet and just tell God all of your conflicted feelings. And you can say things like, God, I don't know if you're there or why do you hate me? Or my life is so awful. Or when are you going to stop picking on me? Or I don't think you exist. I'm so angry. And like, just as as though God were your therapist or (laughs) however you want to envision it but just have an authentic conversation and actually say how you really feel unfiltered, unfiltered, real relationships are not filtered. And the good news is that unlike a human relationship, you don't ever have to worry about hurting God's feelings or that he won't be able to handle your emotions or that he'll insult you in return. God is way bigger than any of us and he can absolutely handle whatever you throw his way he has dealt with us humans for thousands of years. There's nothing he hasn't heard. There's nothing he hasn't listened to. There's nothing he can't handle. That's what I would advise. Okay, well, there's a lot of food for thought in this uh, this episode, Rochi. Um, if people want to hear more of you, see more of you, uh, where can they find you? Okay, so um, I have a podcast too. Just look up Rochi Kobal. Um, it's my one of my classes where I talk about character improvement and I record it every week and post it to my podcast. Um, I am on Facebook and Instagram and I have a book. It's called conversations with God prayers for Jewish women. It's also ironically for Jewish men, but it's marketed for women because women buy more books about spirituality. Um, and and Oh, and I have a blog. I forgot about that. Um, it's called out of the ortho box. Dot com. Nice. I like that. Thanks. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Ruffy. I uh, 
Thank you. Have a lot to process uh, for the uh, for the next uh, bit of time and and beyond. Um, you know, well, I give you a lot of credit because <clears throat> these are really, really big, scary topics, and I don't know that anybody would have necessarily tackled this one. So I really want to give you a virtual pat on the back for being brave and uh, addressing this. I kind of feel like it's an elephant in the room a lot of the time. Yeah, well, thank you for addressing it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Woman of Valor podcast. Make sure to subscribe at thewvlife.com as well as on your favorite podcast listening app. Follow us on Instagram at Woman of Valor Podcast.